Good morning. Um, so I'll be doing a reading in Lingala from Kinshasa in the DRC. And we're reading from um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. Ndoka ndena kala buzalaki musika ya nzambe pe buzalaki bangunda na yupo na mabinyoso uyu buzalaki kukanisa pe kusala. Kasi sikoyo nzambe ya zongisi buyoka nikati na ye pe binu na nzela ya kufa ya yesu mwana na ye. Uyu wakabaki nzoto na ye ya bumotolokola mbeka ponako kutali sabinu ipa ya nzambe lokola bato uyu ya bule bazanga pamela pe bazanga mbeba. Kasi busangeli penza kuhumela kutele mampui pe kutlanda kati makundimana bino pe usengeli kuboya kupengwa usikaya elikia uyu bozalaki utatangu boyo kaki sango malamu. Sango malamu yango esakola mkikati na bikela mnyoso uye zali na seyalikolo penga ipolo akoma usalina yango. Amen. Thank you, Mike. If anyone wants to correct his pronunciation, you can talk to him afterwards. <laughs> so we're picking up. Thanks, Dudley. We're picking up our series, and uh, we're building into our identity in Christ. And so, uh, basically, looking at. Um, our identity in Christ, and the first one was location, location, location. What are you established in? And then secondly, last week we looked at how relationship profoundly impacts and roots us in our identity. Our identity is not something that has no connection. It's profoundly formed and sourced and comes out of the relationships. And the more important the relationships that we have, the more profound the impact on our identity. And then this week, I shouldn't have put it in red, but if you can see that, it says spoken words. And uh, we're going to look at spoken words. And no, I'm not going to try and imitate a couple of people who might get Grammys tonight. But uh, it's, it's just the whole idea that actually not just words, but words that get spoken have the power to establish identity. So our identity rooted in our creation in the image of God has been redeemed by Jesus. We sang about it earlier. And so what was true of us became true of him so that what is true of him is the son of God, he's loved of God. So we were sinners, he took sin, what was true of us became true of him, so that what is true of him, when we are in him, becomes true of us. And so he who was righteous gives us his righteousness. He who was without condemnation now releases us into the place where we are free from that. And so the inner conversations we have, how we think about ourselves, how we frame has become a battleground precisely because it has such a powerful impact on the shape of our lives and on the outcomes of our ministry. And so we looked at this picture. We saw uh, 
a, a tree with fruit on. And we could see its roots. And in a sense, the fruit is the externals, the behavior, the outcomes, the ministry, the stuff that happens through our lives. And Paul says, you are light in the Lord, so produce light fruit. And he mixes up his metaphors properly. But, but he says, this is going to be goodness and righteousness and truth. And so the beliefs that we hold have a direct bearing on the ability, in other words, the roots of uh, the outcomes and the behavior. Now, fruit is really important. Fruit is what the world experiences. It's what, what they see, what Jesus commands. He calls us to fruit. And this is both in terms of becoming, you know, godly people or sanctification, the goodnesses and righteousness that grows. And, of course, in our mission and ministry, in the anointing of God that touches lives through us and around us. And so fruit matters, you know. But the second thing is that the roots matter. What we believe, who we trust. But just to have, as it were, some fruit and hope for the root and nothing for it to be grounded in. Your identity is like what grounds you, connects you, establishes you to the stuff and to the place. And so it's the soils of connectedness and relationship. And whether these have been healthy or harmful, this has a massive impact on our lives. And so there's a, a literally a fight going on for your identity and how you think about yourselves. We aren't just trees hanging in midair. We are deeply connected and rooted in our relationships and in the words that those relationships bring. So if the words are speaking healing and hope and strength and building up that sense of who you are, it's going to produce its fruit. So the father we saw last week comes to the Lord Jesus and you know, Jesus joins those who are being baptized. He gets baptized too. And as he is praying, in the midst of praying, he comes up out of the water. Heaven is ripped open, says Mark. And uh, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And this voice, this identity-forming, relationship-confirming voice says, You're my son, and I love you. With you I am well pleased. And so we saw that sort of like, it's almost written like a little poem. You are speaking to identity. My son, the nature or the relationship itself. And then the nature of the relationship, its content and its form is love. And again, you see that repeated in uh, a very kind of Aramaic, Jewish, Hebrew way in which it's just repeated again, the you, the I, and the sheer pleasure. And so God comes to those of us who are in Christ, and we need to hear this, saying, you are my child, and I love you. You are mine. I love you. I want you rooted and established in my love. And this is what enables us to be transformed. So today we come to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, what Mike read for us, I will just give you, in case you didn't quite follow, in, uh, in English. Once you were, verse 21, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds 
because of your evil behavior. Now, there's a little mark there to remind me to say that, you know, Paul is so excited. The writer is so excited about what he's saying. He's not really finishing all his sentences at the moment. So this one actually reads, so once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds, in your evil behavior. Um, it's, it's just like this is where you were planted. It's all in the dative or in the locative sense. So it's where you got located. It's where you found yourself. It's the soil that you had that you felt yourself far from God. And in fact, your mind told you God was an enemy. And your evil behavior just kind of was in the midst of all of that. It wasn't, was it evident because of it? Was it, was it manufactured because of it? Was it your evil behavior that made you think badly? Well, it's all just, as it were, the context in which it happens. It's the location that you found yourself. So yeah, you are. You're thinking of God as though he's a hostile. Think of a, a conflict situation. A platoon is walking through the jungle and then somebody shouts, hostile, three o'clock, and all their guns aim there because they think that's where the threat is. That's how you've been framing God, Paul says to the Colossian church. You've been thinking God is a threat. You're thinking God is against you. He's hostile. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. wants us to understand completely again in this whole chapter. We haven't got time to do it, but the whole chapter has been linked to the climax of Jesus, his significance in creation, his significance and supremacy in salvation. And it's literally through his death on the cross for you that all this is possible. So the one you thought of as a threat and the one you thought saw you as a problem, through Jesus you reconciled to him. Now read this. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now actually, this translation has kind of moved the words in his sight or before his face. It actually, the sequence of the words, and Greek, the sequence doesn't really make that much difference, but you've been reconciled through Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy, without blemish, and free from accusation in his sight. In other words, not just holy in his sight, it's holy in his sight. It's without blemish in his sight. And it's free from accusation in his sight and in his presence. Can I get a hallelujah or an amen from someone? Then he says this, if you keep believing this. It's not that your salvation, let me not preach the sermon. If you continue in your faith or if you keep believing this, notice again the sense of roots or building, established and firm. This is your place to put down roots and belong. Do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the good news that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, 
have become a servant. I am a servant of this message. Notice this message gets spoken. It gets proclaimed. The word therefore proclaimed is a legal proclamation. As in a herald would announce new laws or something like that. That force of saying this. So we want to talk about number one. The power of spoken words to establish identity. If we think and speak incorrectly about God and ourselves, it really will cause a train wreck in our lives and in our faith. If you think that God is a hostile, if you think that God sees you as a hostile, that you're just a problem to him, that you're objectionable to him, or somehow that you're even a threat to him, guys, you're just not that big, okay? But if you somehow think that you're a major problem for God, It's going to cause an absolute train wreck in your life. You've got to relearn through the right words. And so these spoken words, the Father speaks over Jesus. And these words that Paul actually speaks over this church that we don't think he had ever met in person. But he still says to them, you are holy. You are without blemish. And you are free from accusation in the sight of God. God is not the threat. You know, several decades ago, a young couple stopped for breakfast in a Tennessee diner or restaurant. And an old man walked up and rather unusually asked if he could join them for their breakfast. So they thought, sure. And he sat down and he started telling them his story about what happened to him in that town where they were eating. He said he had the shame of growing up in this what was then a very small town not knowing who his father was. And there was just huge stigma. And wherever he went, people would be kind of going, I wonder who his dad is, you know. And the mom wasn't saying anything. And there was just huge shame. And he just found himself withdrawing and disengaging, not wanting to be around people. But then he heard some people talking as he was running errands. He heard some people talking. They were talking about a new preacher in town. And they're like, he was really good and everything like that. And so one day he slipped into the old church in the back of this Midwestern place. And he sat down and he listened. And this preacher was really good. You know, the one guy told people that was sinners and they needed a savior and that God had sent Jesus. And the new guy came and told them they were sinners and they needed a savior and God had sent Jesus. But there was something different about how he spoke to them. And week after week, this young man would slip in towards the end of the singing. He'd listen to the words. He'd listen to the words. And then as the service was ending, he'd bolt. And he wouldn't have to talk to anyone. But one week he was there and he was listening. And he was so deeply caught up in what was going on, he forgot to run away. And as the service was finished, his head was bowed, and he was still thinking about all the incredible stuff he heard, when suddenly he realized, I need to get out of here. People are going to see me in the back row. And so as he stood up, the aisles had started filling, and he couldn't get out. And the next thing, he felt a hand on his shoulder, 
And he heard the preacher's voice say, boy, whose son are you? And the whole place went silent. Big preacher's booming voice. He was standing there in front of people, so like pulled back, and he found himself in front of the whole congregation. Boy, whose son are you? And he didn't know what to say. Preacher said this, I know whose son you are. I can see a distinct family resemblance. You, you are, you're one of the sons of God. He announced it to the whole church. Old man now looked across the breakfast table and said this. You know, those words changed my life. Those words changed my life. Didn't have to hang his head in shame. Didn't ever have to wonder again if he was worth his place at the table, at the school desk, or in church, or anywhere else. Those words changed my life. Paul is speaking similar kinds of words over the Colossian church. You see, Thinking God is hostile in your mind and therefore in your behavior. And, and, and the two are just sort of like thrown in together in the Greek. It's like your thinking is a problem, your behavior becomes a problem. Your root becomes a problem, your fruit becomes a problem. And your root and fruit, well, they located in the wrong thoughts about God. Your thinking is hostile. You're thinking he thinks you're a problem. And so having introduced us to Jesus and the reconciling that he brings, the redeeming of us and all things, Paul wants new fruits. He wants new roots. And he knows that that is born from a new way of thinking about ourselves and God. In his sight, because of Jesus, I am holy. In his presence and in his sight, because of Jesus, I am without blemish. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 uses those exact phrase to talk about how Jesus loved the church, gave himself for the church to present her to himself as a radiant bride. That's what God is wanting to see. People whose faces light up at the anticipation of love and life together. And he says this bride is going to be without spot or wrinkle or blemish. In his sight, Father, in your sight, I am without blemish. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but there's another voice, and I sometimes just want to call it honesty. And I think, oh, I've got so many blemishes. I've got so many imperfections. And I want to focus on the things that God wants to set aside. And I call it honesty. 
Paul says, I want you to think differently. You see, in his sight and in his presence before him, no accusing or condemning words are spoken without accusation is what the text says. In his presence, no accusing. Wow. In his presence, no accusing. Why? Because of Jesus. I mean, he literally took every accusation, every condemnation that could have stood against you. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, God is just. He is faithful. If Jesus has paid for it, you never can and you never should. So you've got to stop the self-talk that will make you think of God as a hostile. It will make you think of yourself as a problem. Identity. These spoken words establish identity. And then we deepen identity with co-responding words. I could have said corresponding words, but we meant to be a co-responder. God is speaking, and we meant to reply. So Romans chapter 8 says this, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Remember the hostile image. No, rather, the spirit you receive brought you brought about your adoption to sonship, which is your full, legal, rightful standing before God. There is a courtroom scene all over these passages again and again, and God is slamming his gavel on his bench and saying, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, free from accusation, free from accusation. And then he's whacking his gavel again, and he says, they're mine. She's my daughter. He's my son. They belong to me. I am your father. You are mine, and I love you. That's God speaking. And so by him, by the Spirit, we co-respond. We respond back to God, and we cry. Now, this is a loud word. <laughs> it's not like we whisper. The spoken words are not just meant to come from God. They're meant to come from your lips, and you're just supposed to say, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father, I love you. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus. You are my Father. Our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Our Father. Our Abba. We co-respond. Now these verses are actually very personal for me. And I'm going to tell you why. So I'm going to need some tissues, unlike Joey, who just fought it through. I was about 10 years old when my earthly father experienced a complete, total mental health breakdown. He simply didn't speak for about seven or eight years. He was suicidal at 
times violent, not so much towards us, but in other ways of self-harm. He was completely self-absorbed, depressed. And after four years of trying to salvage things in our household, eventually, after a couple of serious, serious incidents, my parents got a divorce. And whatever faith had been formed in my life uh, was rejected because, well, who goes through this and still believes? And I was about 14, 15 years old, 15 years old at the time. I remember two of my friends at the time asking me about Jesus and about Christianity, knowing that my parents had actually been missionaries. They'd been in full-time ministry, had served the Lord for like 15 years, flat-out evangelists, traveling the world, doing all that kind of stuff. And they asked me about Christianity, and I turned to my two unsaved friends, and I told them about Christianity. I said this, it's a phase. You get over it. I wanted nothing to do with this. And I was so hurting, angry, and I was insanely competitive to prove that I was worth something. You see, my dad had then left the house and then ended up living rough, literally a vagrant on the streets of Pretoria. And so although I wasn't going to church, God has got a sense of humor got me to sign up for a mission trip because I heard that a girl called Maureen, who I was interested in, was going on the trip. And even more exquisitely in his sense of humor, I found out once I had actually got on the transport and gone to the camp that it was the wrong Maureen. <laughs> this Maureen definitely was not interested <laughs> So there I was stuck with these Christians for 10 days, supposed to be doing missionary work. Go figure. And, and I mean, they clearly knew something wasn't right. They just didn't know that I was the son of a vagrant, a homeless man who was sleeping rough on the streets of Pretoria. That's who I was. I was determined to prove them wrong. I had a silent father who even before this had not really spoken his affection and certainly had never said anything to me for five years at that time. So one morning, the mission leader aware that his missionaries needed Jesus more than anybody else Turn to these verses. And he said of verse 16, and his name was Stephen, and he said, you know, I just had this voice from God speaking to me in my heart every day of my life and just says, Stephen, you're my child. Stephen, you're my child. And he anchors me and he feeds me.
And so he invited us just to listen for the Spirit of God speaking into our hearts. And I think he was wondering, you know, that we'd either hear or whatever. He invited us to listen, and I may have told you this before, but I thought God had a big, deep voice. And so I was imagining, like, Craig, you're my child. And I was sort of halfway there when I suddenly realized if I'm having to imagine it. I know this is me. This is not him. I'm, I'm like, I'm in fiction land. Here. If I'm having to imagine this, then it's not real. God isn't speaking to me. But oh, I want him to. I want the Father. I want a new identity. I want a new me. I want a new definition of the angry, competitive, determined to prove the world wrong, sick and tired and in pain me. And through tears and sobs, I gasped out the sinner's prayer, asking God to forgive me all my anger and all my rage. And then one of the most beautiful things I learned almost straight away is that because he's my father, he wants me to cry, Abba, and to respond. You know, we saw last week in, in 1 John, God says to Jesus, you're my son, I love you. And then in talking about how we experience love, he says, and you need to confess that Jesus is the son of God. In other words, your words need to match God's words. That's one of the ways you establish identity. And now I learn that the title I use for God is not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy with the oversized ego. He is Abba. And he loves me. And now I love him. With all my heart. He's won me from the inside out. I am redefined, holy, without blemish, free from accusation. I give him my identity confirming reply. You, Father, are my Abba, my Daddy. No wonder this makes us good. I mean, it really does. It roots you in something completely different. It has the power to transform the impact of our lives and of our ministry. And so then, I just want to pick up on the first line of verse 23. So if you continue in your faith, meaning if you will keep on believing this, you know, it's not meant to be a once-off aha when you're 15 or 25 or 55 or whatever it is. There's this sense he's saying to them, you need to stay with these words for the rest of your life. You're never going to stop being Abba's child. <laughs> you're never going to become Abba's adult. And you're never going to become Abba's supervisor or Abba's boss. You are always, always going to be Abba's daughter 
forever's son. That is who you are. And notice, I pointed it out earlier, established, firm. This is what you planted in. This is what you grounded on. This is what your foundations are. This is where your roots are now established. Stay with these words. Your experience of your new identity and this new relationship means you need to keep saying it and keep believing it. Keep saying it. Keep saying it. Keep calling him Father. I don't know what your daddy word is. But that's the word, that's the love language God wants to hear from you. You see, it's not just that he says that you're mine. The way you confirm this is by you saying to God, and you're mine. God says, I will be your God. You will be my people. Now in the New Testament, that becomes family. You see, your identity is not like an exam that you cram by once getting it all right and fitting all the facts inside your head, and then you sit down, and then you pass, and your professor or your teacher says, well done, and you get your pass mark. And then it's done. I mean, all the educators are going, no, no, no. But you know what? The rest of us have written exams. We know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's not like cram and you're done. Your identity is not an exam. The sinner's prayer is not to just get you across the finish line. It is to establish you with a new sense of self. Rooted in the love of God. Built upon the affection that he has for you that says you're free from accusation. That I don't see problems in you. That I declare you to be holy. You see, these words, these spoken words of God, words that God speaks to those who trust him, are not like an exam that you just get one over. No, they are like the air that you breathe. They are like the blood in your veins. They are like the soil in which you are planted. And they are like the daily manna from heaven that's going to nourish your soul and make you grow. And so Jesus coming out of the wilderness when the enemy comes to him in Matthew 4. Jesus has just been told, you're my son. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. What is true of us became true of him. So what's true of him becomes true of us. He's just heard this. And then the enemy wants to come and say, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread, knowing he's jolly hungry. And Jesus says, you don't get it, do you? The Father's spoken words over him. Those words are how I stay alive. They are literally the air I breathe. That is the blood in my veins. That's the soil in which I'm planted. And that's the manna from heaven that feeds my soul. We never outgrow these words. You stay with these words. You go deeper into these words. And you go more and you go more, and you go more, and you are changed, and you are changed, and you are changed.